It's great to be here. Um, about the book, um, <laughs> they've actually run out, so there isn't any copy of the book for you to buy for $7. If you want to buy it from somewhere else, it'll cost a lot more. <laughs> so that was an interesting review of my book. Um, which I, I hope that was on tape, because I'd love to, yeah. Um, uh, I just want to, hello. <laughs> nice to have you join us. <laughs> Late, but at least you've come to the party. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> but you've worked out I'm playing. You must have been here before. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I just want to look at a question um, that uh, um, lots of us ask, I think, and that is, uh, how can we move in the power of the Spirit? And we've been uh, uh, together for the last few days, and uh, one of the things that, that lots of us would love to is, I don't know about you, but I read uh, the story of the early church in the Acts of the Apostles, and it doesn't quite match with my story. And uh, I see God, God at work in, in wonderful ways. And I see, as I read the scriptures, I see the supernatural all over. And uh, a question I've been asking is, is how can we move in the power of the Spirit? What, what does God need to do for that to happen? And the, a great place to start is obviously Jesus. And so um, I want to begin um, in uh, Luke chapter 3, a great event in Jesus' uh, life. Um, in verse 21, we read these words. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit de descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You know, what an amazing Trinitarian moment apart from anything else. The son of God came out of the water the Spirit of God filled him, and the Father spoke to him. People say, where's the Trinity in the Scripture? Well, the Trinity's all over. That's one place. And uh, what an amazing experience that must have been for Jesus. Uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he, he was affirmed by his Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I love being affirmed. I love it when people say nice things to me or about me in my hearing. For example, if at the end of this meeting you were to come up to me and say something like, Mike, you were magnificent. The way you moved, the way you grooved, the way you spoke, oh, Mike, it was amazing. I would like that. <laughs> I would prefer that to what usually happens at the end of meetings, which people come up and say, Mike, you were long. You were very long. And where were you going? <laughs> but do you know, if there's anything I prefer to being affirmed, it is to be publicly affirmed. <laughs> I go quite hysterical and lightheaded when that happens. So, if, so, so I, I love that so much that if, 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 someone, if you were to come up to me and say, Mike, you were magnificent, I would find myself saying, pardon? Could you say that again a bit louder? Jesus, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was not only affirmed by his Father, he was publicly affirmed. The Father didn't whisper, Son, I love you, I'm pleased with you, but shh, don't tell anyone. The Father shouted it from heaven, That's my boy. That's my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him for everyone to hear. Now, you would have thought that that would be enough for Jesus to move in the power of the Spirit. But do you know the very next thing that happens after Jesus is filled with the Spirit, after he is publicly affirmed by his Father, it says in, in the next page, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. 
And you know, in the Greek, that phrase that is translated uh, in the NIV, led by the Spirit into the desert, it it could just as strongly be translated, driven by the Spirit. It's a strong phrase. He was driven. The Spirit that filled him, the first thing he did is he drove Jesus into the desert. And I don't know about you, But if I've had an experience of being filled with the Spirit, of being publicly affirmed, if the next day I find myself in a spiritual desert, my first response is, what went wrong? How did I end up here? How did this happen? And uh, we find the the clue um, when Jesus uh, comes out of his 40 days in the desert. We read this in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of of the Spirit. You see, the spiritual equation is this, filled with the Spirit plus driven by the Spirit into the desert equals returning in the power of the Spirit. We all love the filled with the Spirit bit. We're not so keen on the driven by the Spirit into the desert, and yet both are necessary. And you see this... um, All over scripture, Uh, we talked this morning about David and how he spent his time looking after sheep uh, after he was anointed to be king. Joseph had dreams as a young man of 17 and then 13 years of hell, 13 years of hell before the dreams were fulfilled. And the classic example uh, has to be Moses. I love the story of Moses. You, you begins at the beginning of Exodus, and Moses is a young man. Um, you get the impression, well, I mean, he was a Hebrew, uh, but he was brought up in Egypt. He had the culture of Egypt. He, he had the education of Egypt. And um, you get the impression that he thought he was God's gift to his own people. And uh, uh, one day he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating up a Hebrew slave. Moses looks to the right, to the left. When he thinks no one's looking, he kills the Egyptian. The next day, there are two Hebrews fighting. And Moses goes up to them and tries to intervene. And one of the Hebrew slaves uh, says, says to him, Who made you Lord and Master over us? And the implication is, you think you're above us. You think you're God's gift to us. You think you're like our Lord and Master. And then he says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Moses realizes he has been seen. And he flees into the desert of Midian. And then one day, as he's wandering along in the desert, he comes across a bush that is a little bit different to all the other bushes. And he goes and investigates, and God speaks to him through the burning bush. And I love, I think it is a hilarious conversation. We could do a whole, a whole thing on the conversation. It's hysterically funny, because Moses comes up with all these crazy, crazy um, objections, and God patiently answers each one. And then, and then the, uh, at the end, <laughs> Moses says, send someone else. <laughs> but... But the Lord says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you. You're going to uh, set my people free. You're going to uh, take them out of their captivity, and you're going to take them towards the promised land. And the first thing Moses says is, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go? And, and I think I know what he was trying to do there. You know, I, I, I just have these special insights that no one else has. And I think I know what he was trying to do there, because it's what I do. Before I came here, I said to my friends, who am I that I should go to the home of coffee? Who am I that I should go to Bridgetown Church? Who am I? I am but a nothing. I am but a nobody. I am just nothing. And I said it, hoping that my friends would say to me, oh, come on, Mike, you're all right, really. And I wonder if Moses was doing that. I wonder if Moses was saying, who am I that I should go? In the hope that the Lord would say, oh Moses, I've heard you speak, I've heard worse. <laughs> Do you know how the Lord answers Moses? I love it. The Lord, Moses says, who am I? And the Lord says, I'll go with you. <laughs> if I was Mo. 
I, I would have said, thank you, Lord, that's a very nice sentiment, I appreciate that, uh, but that's not actually the answer to my question. Let me see if I can rephrase the question for you. The question was along the lines of, who am I that I should go? Do you see what the Lord does? He, he doesn't answer Moses' question. Do you know why? Because Moses is asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, who am I, he should have been asking, who are you? Because that's all he needed to know. And then I love the second part of the answer. And the second part is, and this will be the sign to you. And when I first read that, I thought, great, he gets a sign. You see, if I get a sign, I'm all right. As long as you give me a sign. Do you know what the sign was? After you've been back to Egypt, had all the hassle of leading my people out of their captivity into the desert, you'll come back with them all to this mountain and worship me. That's the sign. What is the flipping good of a sign after the event? <laughs> I want the sign first. What's, what's the point? I don't need it after I've done it. <laughs> Except that's exactly how it works with the life of faith. We only often see it afterwards when we look back. We so often can't see it when we're looking forward. We get that the sign becomes a confirmation. Oh my goodness, Lord, you were there all the time. Oh my goodness, you were in it all the time when I couldn't see you. Um, and, then, and then when the Lord says, uh, and then the next objection, one of the next objections is Moses says towards the end, he says, I can't speak, I'm not eloquent. And it's like, Moses, uh, a little while ago, you, were, you thought you were God's gift. You thought you were it. And now it's like, I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. I'll send someone else. What happened? What happened to change Moses from a confident, may I say, probably slightly arrogant young man to someone who just felt that, oh my goodness, I don't have it in me. I'll tell you what happened. 40 years in the desert happened. He was in that desert for 40 years. I don't know if you've ever been into a desert. I mean, we don't have deserts in England. We just, we, oh, well, you're like you. We have rain. And, uh, but I, I had an experience in the desert a few years ago when I went to Los Angeles to speak at something. And, uh, and we had a couple of days off. So I said to my colleague, I said, we've got a couple of days off. Why don't we hire a car and drive into the desert? And my friend said, let's do that. So we hired a car and we drove into some place called, they called it Death Valley. And I realized when I got there why. And, uh, and we drove there and we got all excited as we went deeper and deeper and the temperature went up. And it was like the, the air was shimmering on the road and, and it was getting drier and there was cactuses and there was more and more sand. And then we were in the middle of this place and I mean the temperature was something ridiculous. And I said to my friend, should we stop and get out? And he said, let's do that. So we got out. And we stood there, and, and we just, and, and we stood there, and we went, wow, what a big desert. It's so hot. It's so dry. It's so big. Listen, it's so quiet. There's loads of sand. And then we got back into our air-conditioned car and drove back to Los Angeles. That's what happens on a day trip to the desert. <laughs> but after a week in the desert, it's a big desert, it's hot, it's quiet, it's dry, it's a lot of sand. After a month in the desert, <laughs> desert, hot, dry, quiet, Sun. <laughs> After six months in the desert, <laughs> Moses was 40 years in that flipping desert. No wonder after 40 years he said, I can't speak. <laughs> and that's what happens in the desert. When you're 40 years in the desert, everything changes because you know in the desert all the props are taken away. When you're in the desert, all the things that, that surround you, it's quiet, it's dry, it's arid, it's barren, and it's lonely. And in that place, 
everything stripped away. And it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Because it's that point that when God says, I will go with you, it's enough. Because you know the things that you relied on, they're just not going to do it. And I just want to look in the next few minutes at three lessons uh, from the desert. And, uh, and then we're going to pray. And the first two lessons come from the end of Israel's 40 years in the desert. Do you realize that Moses spent 40 years in the desert on his own as preparation for another 40 years in the desert with Israel. If there is any justice in heaven, and I believe there is, Moses' mansion will have a sea view, a waterfall, and a swimming pool. <laughs> he was 80 years in the flipping desert, first on his own, and then with Israel. And this is towards the end of Israel's 40 years. They've been wandering around. You know what? A journey that apparently could have taken 11 days at a normal pace in a straight line took them 40 years. I mean, you'd have think they'd have found the promised land by accident. <laughs> they were going round and round in circles because, you know, the easy bit for God was taking Israel out of Egypt. The hard bit was taking Egypt out of Israel. And they kept that mentality that mentality of slavery, that mentality of complaining, that mentality of, oh, poor us. And God needed to deal with their hearts, as it were, a new generation to rise up that wouldn't have the, And so many of us, we've been delivered from the old life, but we still live in our heads as if we're in the old life. We still live with the mentality of slavery. We don't realize how he has set us free. And he uses the desert places to teach us, if only we'd see it. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read this. And, and remember, they, they, they can see now the promised land, but they're not in it. So they can see it in the distance. And listen to what the Lord says. Verse 2. Here's the first lesson. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and feeding you with manna. The first thing that happens in the desert is he humbles us. Now, you know what? We have a choice. We really do. We can either humble ourselves under God's almighty hand, or if he loves us, he will humble us. We can either clothe ourselves in humility or he will give us humility. And in my 60 years, I have worked out this secret that I share with you for free. It's much less painful to humble ourselves. It really is. But if he loves us, humility is a big deal for God. It really is a big deal for God. And um, I remember when um, I was a youth worker uh, at, at, at this Anglican church out of which we planted our church and um, uh, we started a camp uh, out of our, ch our church started a camp called New Wine and because I was the youth worker of the church I got to do the youth work at New Wine at this camp and there were about 3,000 people at the camp the first year and there were about 800 teenagers and uh, I did the youth work and on the last day of the camp Something really, really weird, something that never happened to me before happened. The kids started coming up to me and asking me to sign their Bibles. And so I would, you know, I'd write my favorite Bible verse with Love Mike, and they kept coming, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is quite nice. And, and then I remember, late in the afternoon, these two girls ran up to me, and they said, Mike, Mike, could you sign our Bibles? And I said, well, of course. And then I said, oh, but I don't have a pen. And one of them said, borrow mine. So I signed their Bibles. And then I thought it was a bit mean. She asked for her pen back. And then as they were leaving, I promise you, I promise you, as they were leaving, I heard this one girl say to her friend, she said, oh, he touched my pen. He touched my pen. And I thought, I've arrived. <laughs> I have become a minor Christian celebrity I touch girls' pens and make them happy. And I went round 
for the, I went around the campsite the rest of the afternoon, waving at everyone, as Her Majesty would do, whether they knew me or not. And then the last meeting, we were all together, the adults, the children, and the teenagers, in this auditorium where we were going to take communion. And I walked into the auditorium, and I remember thinking, where shall I sit? And then I thought, you know what? I think for this evening, I'll sit with the ordinary people. So I went and found the family that uh, were in my church, and I went and sat with them. And I sat next to uh, a six-year-old girl called Sarah. And uh, she was sitting next to me, and we were take, doing the communion service, and we came to that moment, which Anglicans do, where, where, you know, we were just really quiet as we contemplated what we were going to do in breaking bread. And in that moment of stillness, little Sarah turned to me, and she said in the sort of voice only a six-year-old girl can have, she said, Mike, have you always been fat? Or is it just recently you got like that? <laughs> At first, no one in the row in front turned round. But after a while, the whole row began to shake. And then within moments, everyone was pointing at me and laughing and smiling. And they were saying, ha, ha, that's so funny. Have you always been fat? Ha, ha, ha. And I died in that moment. I died. And I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I put my arm around little Sarah. And I tried to give my best, bless the little children look. <laughs> and I couldn't wait for that meeting to finish. Before it finished, I ran out and I went and I stood under a tree away from everyone and I railed at God and I said, God, how could you do that to me? How could you let that happen to me? How could you let something like that happen to a minor Christian celebrity? <laughs> and that was the point. I'd started to think I was a minor Christian celebrity and God, in his grace and his kindness, he sent little Sarah to remind me that in the end, I'm just a big, fat, hairy Greek. That he's God and I'm not, and he prefers it that way. We have a choice. We can either humble ourselves, or if he really loves us, and, and, he know, and, he, and success will not destroy us, he humbles us. He humbles us. That's the first lesson of the desert. The second lesson, I'm going to speed up. Um, where the heck is the second lesson of the desert? Um, ah, yes. It's in, uh, I think it's verse 10. Oh, I, 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 I never bring my reading glasses because I always think I'm younger than I am. So it might not be. Anyway, here, here's the second lesson. Remember, they're not, they're not in the promised land yet. They're still eating the manna in the wilderness. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And what's the second lesson in the desert? It's the lesson of praise and thanksgiving when it hurts. You see, they're, they're still in the desert. It's manna they're eating. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you, even though you're not in it yet. Praise him by faith. Praise him even though you're not there. Because anyone, anyone can praise God when everything's going great. But what separates the spiritual men from the boys and women from the girls is, 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 is coming to a depth with him that we learn the secret of praise and thanksgiving when life is tough. And Israel had to learn it. Why? Because they lived in a culture of grumbling and complaining and moaning and groaning. And guess what? That's our culture today, isn't it? I don't know. Oh, I, I'm assuming it is for you guys in Oregon. 
but in the UK, it's our, it's our pastime. We, 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 it, it, it's, it's, it's one of our favorite sports to moan and groan and complain. And do you know the thing we love to moan and groan and complain about the most? The weather. Every day, we English, we come together. Every day, and we say, oh, it's another gray day. Wasn't it terrible? Oh, I can't remember the last time I saw the sun. Oh, it's so dark. It's drizzly. It's not even proper rain. It's not even proper rain. It's this drizzle that keeps you damp all the time. I mean, why can't we live in Spain? Oh, is it, is it good enough for you? Oh. And we enjoy it. It's what you do. It's, it's, it's how you connect with strangers. It's how you make relationships. It's, it's how you fall in love. It's... <laughs> It's, that's what we do. Oh, it's terrible. And, and you know what happens? There comes a day, there comes a day, usually in July, when the sun comes out. And do you know what we do then? We come together and we say, oh, it's really hot, isn't it? Oh, it's all this global warming. We're all going to die of skin cancer. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, it's not even the right heat. It's a... Oh, it's a, it's a wet, humid heat. Oh, it's terrible. And we love it. We enjoy it. It's our default position. And you know what? That attitude of grumbling and complaining has affected and infected the church. It's, it's, it's coming to us. And we find it so much easier to moan and groan than to, than to praise, than to give encouragement. It's not just praising God. It's, it's, it's praising other people. We struggle to know how to do that. And I, you know what, and I had to learn this lesson. I had to learn this lesson. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't, I mean, I don't mean to, to contradict you or be negative, um, John Mark, but I was horrified. I mean, horrified in the notices that you said you're going to get a formation group to meet at 7 a.m. <laughs> I mean, that's... You see, I hate loathe and despise mornings. In fact, I have a personal theological conviction that is not yet shared by most other major theologians that mornings came in with the fall. I cannot believe, I cannot believe they were part of the original creation. I mean, why anyone, why anyone would want to, at seven o'clock, I mean, it's, And you know what they say? They say there's two kinds of Christians in the world. There's the Christians that wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. <laughs> and then there's Christians who wake up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> well, I'm the second. I'm a good Lord, it's morning person. And I've always moaned and I just, I just, don't, I just don't do mornings. And then there was one time I was listening to this talk by this someone who's as warped as you. And, and he was talking about learning the secret of praise and thanksgiving when it hurts. And he was saying, you know what? He said, he said you know what I've discovered? How you start your day will, will, will decide how you spend the day. And he told us how he, as a discipline, he would wake up in the morning, he would open his eyes, and the first thing he would say is, Lord, I thank you that this morning I'm alive, that there is air in my lungs. Then he would pull up his, du we call it a duvet. Do you call it a duvet? The blanket, or what do you call it? The thing you have over you. Blanket. A comforter. Really? <laughs> Isn't that what babies... Okay. And, and he said he would pull up his comfort, his comforter. <laughs> Let's call it a blanket, eh? Um, he would pull up his blanket, and then he would look down, and he would look at his toes, and he would wiggle his toes, and he would say, I thank you, Lord, for my toes, that my toes work. And, and then he would say, I thank you, Lord, for my ankles. And then he would get up and stand up, and he would say, I thank you for my for my calves, for my knees, for my thighs. And he would go up the whole, his whole body giving thanks for his body. And he would thank the Lord for his bedroom. He would thank the Lord for his house. He would thank the Lord for his family. He would, and then I, he said, after 15, 20 minutes of that, I would be set fair for the day. And when I heard that, I thought, that's it. I'm going to do that. 
from now on. And that night, I went to bed early. I put the alarm clock on. I, I, I was so excited. I couldn't sleep for ages. <laughs> and then I went to sleep. And then in the morning, the alarm clock went off. And I remembered. I opened my eyes. And I said, good morning, Lord. <laughs> and I said, I thank you that this morning there is air in my lungs, that I am alive. And then I pulled up my blanket, <laughs> and I couldn't see my feet. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, it's all gone wrong already. So, do you know what I did? Do you know what I did? I thanked the Lord for my stomach instead, <laughs> which he has fearfully and wonderfully made, and which I have helped him with. You see, here's the point. There's always going to be stomachs that get in the way in life. There's always going to be stuff. There's always going to be times we won't see our feet. They're the times to continue to give thanks because he is good all the time and we do it in faith and I'm not talking about pretending I'm not talking about not singing songs of lament I sing songs of lament all the time I'm not talking about that I'm talking about what David did when he lost his son in his tears, in his wailing he went and washed his face and he blessed the Lord because through our tears it's not pretending it's through our tears, and it's not an easy, it's, I, I'm, I'm not into let's all put on the, the charismatic smile all the time, you know, but it's saying, God, you are good, and I say it by faith. What's the third lesson and the final lesson in the desert? And I think the most important one, I think the final lesson in the desert can be found in the book of Hosea. And you know, the story of Hosea amazes me. God told his prophet, go and marry a prostitute called Goma. Be faithful to her. Love her. And uh, she's going to break your heart. And she's going to go off with other men. And then when she's broken your heart sufficiently, I want you to go to my people Israel and say, I have been your husband, a faithful husband, and you have been like a prostitute to me. And you've lifted up your skirts to every passing idol. And you know, there are places where it's really hard to know what is Hosea speaking and what is the Lord. It's quite a prophecy. And do you know, in the middle of this, the Lord says something. Um, in Hosea chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I'm now going to allure Israel. What does it mean to allure someone? What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means to do this. I won't go any further because I don't want to cause the front row to sin. Especially as you arrive late. Um, um, I just want to digress for a moment here. Um, um, just, just put your hands up. If um, guys, this is, I just want to talk to the guys for a moment here. Just put your hand up if you have not yet met the woman of your dreams, the woman that you know is to be your wife and that you're to spend the rest of your life with. Now, hold on. Before you do that, just, just, just think about who you're sitting next to, all right? I've, all right? Just put your hand up if that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, I see those hands. Thank you. I see, thank you. I see these hands. Thank you. Thank you. I see, yes, I see some hands up. The, not so many hands up the top, but more, more. Okay, ladies, I just want to talk to the guys for a moment and just give them some advice. You can talk amongst yourselves for a few moments. You're good at that. <laughs> Guys, listen. If you want to allure a young lady, this is what you do. You invite her out for a meal. Before you take her to the restaurant, you go on your own. You look around. You find the best table, the one in the corner by the window, not the one by the by the toilets, 
the restrooms. You slip the waiter $5 and you say, can this be our table? Then you go and you take her to the restaurant. You say, can we have our table? You sit down. You give her the menu. You let her choose anything her little heart desires. And then you spend the entire evening doing nothing else but asking her questions about herself. And you listen in rapt attention for the whole evening as she tells you her life story. At the end, you take her home. You say goodnight. As you turn the corner, you phone her. And you say, I want to thank you for a wonderful evening. Now, you don't have to worry about all that nonsense once you've married her. But when you're alluring her... Try it and write to me and let me know. <laughs> so how, how did the Lord allure Israel? Listen to this. Listen to this. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. Listen to how the Lord allures Israel. I will lead her into the desert, and there I will speak tenderly to her. Guys, the desert is not the devil's place. It's God's place. He leads us into the desert above all to allure us, to speak tenderly to us. He's always speaking tenderly to us. But when we're in the middle of the noise and the hustle and the bustle of the city with everyone around us, we can't hear him because we drown out his voice. And so he has to take us to desert places where everything is stilled, everything is quiet. And when he speaks tenderly, we hear him and he takes us deeper. He takes us deeper. He allures us because his, his intention in creating us is to have intimacy with us. It's for intimacy's sake. He wants to be close to us. If you do a study of, of, of in, in the whole scripture, all of God's attempts to come close to a people who have run away, it's unbelievable. A tabernacle, a temple, a son. I'll finish with this. One of the craziest books in the Bible is Song of Songs. And I won't pretend I understand it. And you know, when I first became a Christian, um, I was 15 years old and I decided I'd read the Bible right through. And I started at Genesis and Genesis was fine, Exodus was okay. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Oh. And then we got to the history books a bit more, and they were fine. And, and I tell you, and then we, we got, went on, and then Psalms were okay, and Proverbs. And, and then I, I got to Ecclesiastes. I read Ecclesiastes, um, and then I took an antidepressant. And then, <laughs> and then after Ecclesiastes, I turned the page, and, and I saw Song of Songs. And, and no one told me. <laughs> I didn't know, so I thought, oh, that's nice, after Ecclesiastes, a song about singing. I like singing. No one warned me. And then I, I started reading it, and it's like, oh, this is going to be fun. And I started reading it. And I thought, who put that in my Bible? Somebody has spiked my Bible. Have you read this? Oh, my goodness. Listen to this, listen to listen to this. It's the it's songs between a, a king and his maiden and some friends join in every now and then. And, and listen to the maiden in chapter 2. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Can you imagine a young lady saying that about her boyfriend today? <laughs> My boyfriend's like an apple tree. <laughs> I love sitting in his shade. <laughs> his, we won't go into the fruit, but anyway. <laughs> and then, and then listen, listen, this is, this is the king. Listen, he says this, he says, listen, my beloved, look, oh no, this, sorry, this is the maiden about the king. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, Bounding over the hills, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, going, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, 
Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. And do you notice that the king, he, he leaps over mountains, he bounds over hills, he comes a great distance, but he doesn't break his way into the house. He gazes through the window. He could easily force his way in. He comes all that way and he says, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. She has to make the one move. That's our God. He, he came a long way. He came a long way. He comes right up to your front door. But he doesn't force his way in. He knocks. He knocks. And if this was Hollywood, that would be the end of the movie, that the king and his maiden would be wandering off into the sunset together. But the Bible is more real than Hollywood ever is. And I absolutely finish with this. Straight after this, we come to what, for, for me, seriously, some of the most beautiful verses in the entire scripture. She's with her king. And then listen to this. Chapter 3, verse 1, she then says, All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. She'd been with him. She'd been with him. And then suddenly he hides his face. He's not there. All night long on my bed, I sought the one my heart loves. And then she had to make a decision. I will get up now. The decision was I could stay in my spiritual bed and turn over and go to sleep. Or I can get so desperate that I will get up now. I will rise up and go about the city. And the picture is at 3 o'clock in the morning. She's wandering the deserted streets. Where is the one my heart loves? And you know when he hid himself, when he hid his face, her longing grew deeper. Her longing grew more passionate. And then she says, when I found the one my heart loves, I held him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house, to the bedroom of the one who conceived me, till I brought him to the most intimate place in my heart. That's why the desert. That's why the desert. Because he wants to be found. He wants you and me to search for him. He wants you and me to long for him. And he wants us to long for him at a deeper level than we ever thought possible. And you know, in the last chapter of Song of Songs, in I think it's, I think it's chapter, hold on. Yeah, chapter 8. Do you know what the friends say? I love this. The friends say these words. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? The purpose of the desert is that we come out of the desert leaning on the Lord who is our lover. It's God's place. Embrace it. And get out of your spiritual bed and seek the one your heart loves. Let the love go deeper. Let it mature. He wants to be found by you. And Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Holy Spirit, would you would you come to us where we are? And for those of us who have felt we've been 40 years in a desert, for those of us who felt we've been in a desert a long time, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, would you, would you meet with us? Would you speak tenderly to us? Would you allure us? And Lord, for those of us who have been happy to, 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 
to listen to little bits of your voice in the busyness of the city. Lord, I pray that you would put a, such a longing in us. Such a longing in us that nothing else would satisfy. Humble us. Teach us to praise you in trust and faith and love. Even when we're in the middle of the desert. But above all, Lord, allure us. Allure us. Guys, um, often what I do now is just wait. But there are times when it just seems like we have to do this. And I want to ask some of you to be really brave. And I'm going to ask those of you who you know you're in a desert and it hasn't felt great. And you know for some of you it's a spiritual desert. For some of you it's an emotional desert. For some of you, you feel so broken that it's so hard to receive his love. You know it in your head. For some of you, it's a relational desert. In the midst of a, a busy city, in, in the midst of even a wonderful church, somehow you've not touched hearts and you need him. You need him. If you know that's you, we want to pray for you. And I know the Lord is here and he longs to meet you. He, he's leapt over mountains. He's bounded over hills. He went through the cross. And he stands outside your window. And he invites you to take one step. If you know that's you, be brave. No one's going to judge anyone. We're a family here. We're all the same. Could you come and just stand or kneel here? And we're gonna, and others, just come and be ready to pray for these guys. If you're up in the balcony, I know some of you are coming. Just come down. We'll wait for you. We'll wait. If you can, don't sit too near each other. Okay? Um, and could, could others come and pray? I think we need prayer team and probably a whole bunch of others. Um, okay. The Lord wants to meet with you. We're going to pray right now. We need everyone who's on the, the prayer team just to come now, please. And just don't, don't try not to sit too near each other so that folk can, because this is a time for family. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that by your spirit you would come to our brothers and sisters. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, to the loneliness. Come, Lord, to the dryness. Come, Lord, to the confusion. Come, Lord, to the places where they just feel so empty and meet with them and allure them and whisper to them, speak tenderly to them. Take them deeper, Lord. You know, he, he wants to come to you, not just because he wants to use you, but because he just wants to, he, he wants to enjoy you. He wants to enjoy you. Thank you, Lord. We need a few more to come and pray. Just, just maybe over this side. Um, if some can come through, that would be great. We thank you, Lord. Tom, why don't you come and join me and maybe... Maybe one or two of the band as well. There are others that can come. That's it. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, more of your presence all over this room. Lord, we pray more of your presence, more of your power, the power of your love, the power of your anointing. Lord, would you come? Lord Jesus, would you come? Breathe on us. Breathe on us, Lord God. Breathe on us. We thank you, Lord. 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 I could be wrong here, but I think that there might be someone here um, who um, you're, you're in intense pain and you've been in, in intense loneliness and you've hidden it and you've hidden it well and you've done a good job, but it feels like nobody really knows me and you've been carrying pain and uh, stuff from your past, but you just haven't been able, you know, it's, it's made you wary of getting hurt again 
and in the last few days you've got to the place where you feel I just can't bear this anymore I can't take this anymore if it's possible to have the lights up a little bit that would be great thank you if it was possible you can't take this anymore and the Lord wants to meet with you and I know this is going to be hard but I'm going to ask you to be really brave and I actually I think the Lord is saying uh, you've just been praying um, uh, Lord I need you to meet with me but I just don't I can't make the move I'm too I'm too hurt I'm too frightened Um, where are you if that's you could you indicate to me because I'd love to get some folk to pray for you if you're here if you can be brave is that you alright sweetheart alright is there is there a couple of ladies that could just come and pray here please so we just need a couple just to come and pray here Is there someone here about 13 13 years ago, um, you you had a devastating incident in your life and um, uh, things were said to you as well as done to you and the words have not left you. The words have not left you and they, they keep repeating on you and sometimes you think you're all right and then it's almost like in the middle of the night. It's like it comes back to haunt you. And it's like, it's like a, 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 I think it's a phrase. And, and it just, and it kills you. It kills you. Uh, and we'd love to pray for you. And, and the whole point of these words is for people who would never think of asking. They would never think of coming forward. Um, if that's you, could you make yourself known? I'm, I know I'm asking you to be brave. But we, we just love to get someone to pray for you. Um, because the Lord wants to meet with you. And he wants to begin a whole new journey of setting you free. And you've dismissed it. You've said, well, everyone has this sort of stuff. And uh, um, where, where are you? Is that someone here? No, if there isn't, it means I got it wrong and nobody died. And that's all right. But is that, is that, is that you? All right, sweetheart. All right. Right, you, you pray for her. And, yeah. And he wants to set you completely free. He wants to set you. Lord Jesus, just break the power of the words that were spoken over her. Just break the power of them now in Jesus' name. And we speak freedom, the renewing of your mind, and the healing of your heart. I know we have to finish soon because there's a whole bunch who might be waiting in the rain uh, to, to come in. But let's just worship and see if there's anything else the Lord wants to do.